0: In a moment we're going to just see a really brief video from our friends uh, Stephen, and Jessalyn Willis and their two sons Riley and Wyatt in Guatemala. And uh, I want to remind you that uh, in this season of the year we're, we are receiving a year-end offering. Some of you have already given generously to that. We appreciate that so much. Um, but 20% of that offering will go to support the Willis family. If you don't know who they are, they're a LifePoint family who have given this year to uh, serving in Guatemala and uh, in that third world country helping uh, those who uh, otherwise can't help themselves to find water to drill wells. And uh, in, in that environment, uh, a clean water can transform a life. And so um, would you give them your attention here? Hey, guys, we're the Willis family. I'm Wyatt. I'm Riley. I'm Jethelyn. And I'm Steve, and we're here in Guatemala doing water projects or communities that are very poor and have little or no access to water. Another unique opportunity we've had is to share the gospel of hope and the grace of God with those around us. One of the things we'd like to stress with you guys is the fact that we are not supported by a bunch of different churches or an agency that sent us out. We're solely sent and supported by our family at home and our community at LifePoint. Vision Next is rooted in the belief that we are to be living in community, sent out into our home of Thurston County our nation as a whole, and also globally. We are but just the first of many who will be sent by LifePoint. Vision Next is the campaign that will help position our church and move us further into our community outreach. Thank you, LifePoint. We love you and hope to see you soon. Yeah. We love them too and uh, so thankful for, for them and for what they have brought to us as a church. And uh, I hope that that what Steve said is true, that they're just the first of many families sent out from LifePoint to make a difference in the world. Um, They mentioned Vision Next. If you don't know what Vision Next is, it's a three-year generosity initiative that we launched last March um, with the hope in three years or so of raising enough money to have... uh, to be able to purchase land on which to build a permanent home for life point church or to buy a, an existing building that we can renovate uh, for our purposes as a permanent home but that's our hope that's our dream and and really the the dream is not a building the dream is expanded ministry the dream is to have a place that's ours 24/7 and uh, that our ministries can grow and expand uh, the things that we're doing now, we'll be able to do better, um, but just begin, just continue to expand that. This morning, there's a table at the back where you can learn more about Vision Next. You can also go online to mylpclacy.com. Very good. And. And click on Vision Next, and that will open a whole website to you of, of a ton of information about Vision Next, about our dream, about how this works, and how that you can participate. And so I, I hope that you will plan to do that and be a part. Let me just pray one more time before we get into God's Word. Lord, would you come now and be our teacher by your Holy Spirit? Let the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, Oh, Lord, our rock and our redeemer, we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. We are uh, in a series that's titled Believe, and uh, I was told that I'm supposed to talk about believing the angels today. Uh, I finished the sermon way back early in the week, and so um, I I can't even remember what I was going to say. So I'm, I'm as excited as you are to hear what's going to come out of my mouth. But uh, let's start with this idea that... Um, Most of the time in our contemporary culture, you know, angels are portrayed as soft, uh, ethereal, fairy like, sometimes cartoonish, but almost always feminine, almost always reassuring and comforting. And not surprisingly, babies are described often as. Angelic, and and the angels sometimes are portrayed as babies. And I'm not sure how we arrived at that place because every description of an angelic appearance in the Bible is instead adult and masculine and powerful and intimidating and often terrifying. In every encounter between angels and humans recorded in the Bible, the first words out of the mouth of the angel are fear not, right? Don't be afraid, and there's a reason for that, because on most occasions, the first emotion that's elicited by an appearance of an angel or an encounter with an angel is just that, intense fear, uh, sudden and abject terror. Angels are real. The Bible reveals that they're powerful spirit beings, created by God before the creation of the heavens and the earth, to serve him and to bring him glory and honor. They're not automatons. They're not robots. They are represented in the Bible as personal beings possessing intellect and emotions and will. And and we'll see this morning that they figure prominently, no surprise to any of us, in the narrative of the birth of Jesus Christ. The writer of the book of Hebrews quoted a saying from the Old Testament book of Deuteronomy regarding the coming of Messiah when he wrote, when he brings the firstborn into the world, he says, let all God's angels worship him. And and we certainly see that happening after 400 years of silence from heaven. No No prophecies. Uh, no angelic appearances, no messages from angels. After 400 years of silence, suddenly they're just popping up everywhere. God's word tells us that angels are messengers, and they're ministers. They're worshipers, and they are warriors. It would seem that the most prominent role of an angel is as a messenger, a uh, mostly because the Hebrew word that's translated angel in the Old Testament, which is malak, means messenger. The Greek word in the New Testament, angelos, or angel, also means messenger, one who delivers messages. On countless occasions throughout the pages of Scripture, angels are sent from heaven for the purpose of delivering a word from God to men. They're also ministers, uh, tasked not only with serving God, but serving you and I, the people of God. Uh, Hebrews 1.7, quoting Psalm 104, verse 4 says, Of the angels, he says, he makes his angels winds, so or the word there is pneuma, spirit. He makes his angels spirits and his ministers a flame of fire. Hebrews 1:14 are they not all ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation uh, Matthew tells us in chapter 4 of the gospel that of his gospel that before the start of Jesus formal ministry after those 40 days of temptation in the wilderness angels came and ministered to Jesus Interesting that they weren't there during the temptation, but only after, and they came to strengthen him. Luke adds near the close of Jesus' earthly ministry that Jesus experienced intense agony in the Garden of Gethsemane just prior to his suffering and his crucifixion. And and in that moment, an angel appeared to him to strengthen him for what would lie ahead. Angels are Ministers. They're ministering servants, ministering spirits, and then they're also worshipers. In chapter 6 of the Old Testament book that bears his name, the prophet Isaiah described a vision that he experienced of heaven. Isaiah 6, 1 through 3. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim, which appeared to be a class of angels. Each had six wings. With two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Their are worshipers. Then I... Looked, John wrote in General Revelation chapter 4, verse 11, in his vision of heaven. Then I looked and, and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders, the voice of many angels, numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. So that... One day when you and I are there in heaven in the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, the Lion of the tribe of Judah, we'll be surrounded by angels, we'll be among the angels worshiping uh, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And then the Bible tells us that angels are warriors. Warriors. Uh, Remember when the angels appeared to shepherds in the fields outside Bethlehem, We encounter them as both worshipers and warriors. They're described there as a multitude of the heavenly host. And a heavenly host is not the angel that greets you at the pearly gates. A heavenly host is not an angel that serves cocktails in heaven. A heavenly host here refers to an angelic army. How did they know that these were warrior angels? We're not told. But there must have been something about the appearance of those angels that spoke to the shepherds of of those who were prepared for battle. And then these warriors showed themselves to be worshipers when they, it says, and suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. It must have been a thundering sound. There's a description in another place in the New Testament that says that the voice of angels was like the voice of thunder, rolling thunder. is isn't interesting that as there seems to be war in heaven, as these angels are arrayed for battle, and the curtain is drawn back and the shepherds are allowed to see this fearsome sight, that they speak of peace on earth. And it's because they're doing battle in heaven that we're able to experience peace on earth. Interestingly, there's a a passage in the Psalms that, that brings all four of these roles, messenger, minister, warrior, and worship, together in two short verses. Psalm 103, verses 20 and 21, reads this way, Bless the Lord, O you His angels, you mighty ones who do His word, obeying the voice of His word. Bless the Lord, all His hosts, His ministers who do His will. So in that Word angels, we see again. That's this is this is the Old Testament Hebrew. The word malak or malaka messengers. That expression, mighty ones, means you who excel in strength. A, it was expression given to warriors. Um, David's mighty men were his band of bodyguard warriors. And then in that word host is that same word we see in the New Testament. An army. Bless the Lord, his whole army as it were. And then his ministers, there, there they are, his servants, his ministers who do his will, servants. And then twice in, this, in these two verses is that expression bless the Lord, which, which presents them as worshipers. All four roles are, are present there. Angels prepared each of the key players in the Christmas narrative, this unfolding drama of the incarnation of God's Son into the world. Angels prepared each of the key players for the part that they would play, the role that they would fulfill. And we can see that the angel Gabriel, for example, prepared Mary, for her role as the mother of Messiah Jesus. It's recorded in Luke 1, 26-38, that when Mary received the troubling and yet incredibly thrilling news that, that she was going to be the mother of Messiah, she also asked the obvious question. Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? Well, she actually didn't say virgin there. What she actually said was, How will this be since I know no man, which is to say the same thing. An actual cultural translation would be, I am not now nor have I ever been sexually active. And Mary and Joseph were betrothed, but they weren't married yet. So Mary's question is simply, right, how's that going to work out? The angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. And the power of the Most High will overshadow you. This is bigger than you can imagine. Your baby boy, Mary, will be the Son of God. One of my favorite lines, and I probably quote this every year at some point at Christmas. Mary, did you know that your baby boy has come to make you new? The child that you delivered will soon deliver you. That's what the angel is saying to her. It's revealing of the earlier preparation of Mary's heart for God that she said, well, that's good enough for me. I'm the Lord's servant. Let it be to me according to your word. We also see an angel preparing Joseph for his role of becoming the earthly father of the Savior. Some time had passed now between the encounter of the angel with Mary and uh, Mary is uh, well. She's showing. <laughs> Mary is showing. It's, it's become obvious to everyone that Mary has a uh, a baby bump, and Joseph knows that he isn't the father. It would be under, an understatement to say that Joseph is a little bummed out at how things have turned out in this relationship. And he's weighing his options. And under Hebrew law, one of his options was to humiliate Mary by publicly denouncing and divorcing her. Uh, It would have been his right under Old Testament law Uh, If the Romans weren't occupying Israel, it would have been his right to have her stoned to death. Or his third option was to divorce her quietly. And it's an indication of Joseph's godly character, of the genuineness of his love for Mary that he had chosen the latter. And then he had the dream. And an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. I wish I had Cool dreams like this. I had a dream last night of being chased by somebody. (laughs) Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him to do. He married Mary. But he didn't sexually consummate the marriage until her baby boy was born. That's what scripture says. And Joseph named him Jesus as the angel had commanded both of them. You have to marvel, not just a little, at, at the faith of both Mary and Joseph. They, they didn't waffle They didn't negotiate, they obeyed. And the angel prepared them for obedience by answering their fundamental question, is this a God thing? Is God in this? Is God in this messy, messy situation? And if he is, then I'm in as well. And we see angels preparing some nameless shepherds. Anonymity are us outside Bethlehem for their role as eyewitnesses to the birth of the Savior. You can read their story in Luke chapter 2, verses 8 through 20. They they were just out in the field with the sheep, doing what they did every night, trying to stay warm by the fire in their Carhartt coveralls and John Deere knit caps. When the sky opened and just exploded, And the angel appeared to them and freaked them out. It says they were sore afraid, which means in Greek, freaked out. The angel announced to them what was happening and why they should care and and then gave them the coordinates to find the baby in the city. The shepherds took him up on it, went to Bethlehem, found Mary and Joseph and the baby, lying in a manger exactly as the angel had said they would. They told Mary and Joseph what they had heard and seen that night. And then they returned home praising God, and it says they were telling everyone else that they met about Jesus, about what they had experienced. They became worshipers. They became witnesses to the incarnation of God in the person of Jesus that the angels did far more than just prepare each player for their role in the unfolding drama that was going on here. To each of them, the angels also announced the identity and the mission of Mary's child. Notice this first announcement to Mary in the sixth month which is the sixth month of Elizabeth, her cousin's pregnancy. Elizabeth would become the mother of John the Baptist. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. And of his kingdom there will be no end. Now, sometimes when we read a passage like that, it's just it's just a, such a pile of words, isn't it? Let's just break it down a little bit and analyze what it is that the, the angel is saying. First of all, he says, "You shall call his name Jesus." The angel was very clear. Mary was going to bear a son; she was to call his name Jesus. Jesus, the Greek form of the Hebrew Yeshua or Joshua which means the Lord saves the Lord is salvation the angel went on he will be great and the Greek word there is mega not make America great again but make evangelism great again I think that's what that means he will be great he, he has no rival he has no equal he will be great Then the angel said, he will be called the son of the most high. He will be called the son of the most high. He might be known for a time as Mary's baby or Joseph's presumed son. But his true identity will eventually be revealed to the world. He is the Son of God, the Most High, who will be exalted over all creation, who will be given the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Next, the angel says, And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, The title Son of David could be applied in one of two ways, one very general and the other very, very specific. Generally, it can refer to any Jewish male who could trace his ancestry to David. Jesus would trace his lineage through his earthly father, Joseph, a descendant of David. It was no mistake. I don't think that as the angel addressed Joseph in the dream, he said, Joseph, Son of David, remember who you are, Joseph. Remember who Messiah is, Joseph. Specifically, that title, Son of David, refers to only one Jewish male, the Christ, the promised Messiah. Every Jew, every observant Jew, understands what the prophets made clear, that Messiah would descend from David. And of course, David is the major writer of the Psalms. One of them, Psalm 110, has from ancient times been widely understood to be a Psalm describing Messiah, the promised one. And in verse 1, David begins, The Lord says to my Lord, this is David speaking, The Lord says to my Lord, David's Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Matthew's gospel includes a conversation that centered on that verse during the days of Jesus' earthly ministry. It says, now while the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked them a question. Usually they're the ones doing the asking. Jesus asked them a question saying, what do you think about the Christ? Whose son is he? They said to him, the son of David. Some of them probably said, duh. Everybody knows that. And he said to them, how is it then that David, in the spirit, calls him Lord? Saying, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. Father rarely calls his son Lord. Lord. If then David calls him, Lord, how is he his son? And and no one was able to answer him a word. (laughs) Interesting statement. Nor from that day did anyone dare to ask him any more questions. (laughs) Son of David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Now Jacob, Jacob's name became Israel. Jacob was the father of the twelve tribes. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom, speaking of Jesus, there will be no end, which calls to mind the the words of the prophet Isaiah, chapter 9, verses 6 and 7, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, of the increase of his government end of peace there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this see Messiah would rule and reign over a kingdom that was begun with the throne of David Gabriel left absolutely no confusion about who Mary's son would be. Jesus would be son of God, son of David, the promised Messiah who would rule and reign forever. Next, the angel announced the identity and mission of Jesus to Joseph. Again, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son. And you, isn't that interesting? It depends on where you put, if you put the emphasis on the right syllable, right? She will bear a son. And you shall call his name Jesus. Which I suspect Mary had already disclosed to him. This whole conversation she had had with Gabriel. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will, he will, Joseph, save his people from their sins. He came to be the Savior. He came to save his people. That which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit, Joseph. Mary's baby is from the Holy Spirit. He is the Son of God. David, do you understand the drama? Do you understand the moment? She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Again, this baby's name is to be Jesus. It means Savior. It means deliverer. The angel was very specific. You are to give him that name, Joseph, which means that you need to accept this assignment. That's your mission. You're going to give him that name, Joseph. And his mission will be to save all of you from your sins. That's why he's coming into the world. The angel also announced the identity and the mission of Jesus to the shepherds. It's found in verses 10 and 11 of Luke chapter 2. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. That phrase, unto you as born, would have immediately called to the minds of the shepherds the words of Isaiah 9, 6, that I just read to you, unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. In the city of David would have then called to their minds the word of the prophet Micah regarding the birthplace of Messiah. But you, Bethlehem of Fratha, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient days. When the angel told them a Savior was born to them, he was saying essentially what he had said to both Mary and Joseph when he told them to call his name Jesus. Many years later, Jesus would say to a man named Nicodemus, God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. To his disciples, Jesus said, The Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. The apostle Paul wrote to his protege Timothy, The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. In Jesus Christ, God sent one who would solve the predicament of our separation from God by offering himself as the sacrifice, the the payment by which all of our sin for all time would be covered and forgiven. And then the angel said to them that this Savior, this cause for great joy to all the people is Christ. This is the Messiah that's to be born. I remember thinking when I was a child that Christ must be Jesus' last name, right? So I figured, you know, it was Joseph Christ, Mary Christ, Jesus Christ. Only makes sense when you're five years old. It was only in my teen years that I came to understand that Christ is not a name but a title. Christ or Christos is the Greek form of the Hebrew Messiah. Messiah. Mashiach, which means the anointed one. And the angel wanted the shepherds to understand that this child that was born in Bethlehem, to whom he was sending them, is the one for whose coming they and all Israel had been waiting and longing for thousands of years, the one to whom all the law and all of the prophets had been pointing. O Bethlehem, O Bethlehem, the hopes and fears of all the years are met in thee tonight. But the crowning declaration of the angel is that the child is not just a merely human savior or a merely human Messiah. In declaring that he is the Lord, the angel identifies Jesus as very God of very God. Not a Lord, but the Lord. Not one option among many, but the one to whom each of us is ultimately accountable. Songwriter Joseph Moore captured that truth when on Christmas Eve 1818 he wrote Jesus Lord at thy birth Jesus Lord at thy birth child to be born is the son of God son of David eternal king Messiah Lord the one who came to save us from our sins. It's interesting that That angels, as we think about the angels and their part in the story, it's interesting to think about the fact that angels announced a gospel that they themselves could not fully understand. That they were talking about things that were way above their pay grade, way above their powers of comprehension. Concerning this salvation, Peter wrote, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully Angels are announcing things that they cannot comprehend. What is this thing? They're delivering messages that they don't understand. It doesn't apply to them. What is this thing you're doing, God? But the angels can be believed. The angels can be believed. We saw last week that a, A biblical test of a prophet is whether what he said actually came to pass. And even though they didn't fully understand the message they were given by God to announce the the appearances of angels to Mary and Joseph and the shepherds, each one featuring really miraculous happenings, also included prophecies that could only be fulfilled by miraculous means. And one by one, each of the angels' prophecies were fulfilled and came to pass in very clear and concrete ways. And we didn't even talk about the appearance of the angel Gabriel to Zechariah, who became the father of John the Baptizer, or the angelic warnings to the wise men who came to worship Jesus, or the angelic instructions to Joseph to flee to Egypt to protect the young child, Jesus, from Herod's efforts to murder him, I said to you at the start of last week's message that belief requires a trustworthy object. And when you've found your trustworthy object, all kinds of things become possible. When Jesus Christ becomes your trustworthy object, your sins are forgiven, you're reconciled to God... The Holy Spirit takes up residence in your life. You, you have the hope of eternal life. You, you never need to fear death again. And you have peace and you have power and you have a purpose for your existence. And when all that is true of you, you'll be free to worship like the angels. You'll be free to surrender yourself to God's purposes like Mary. You'll be free to risk like Joseph. You'll be more than inclined to worship and to witness like the shepherds. It was during the making of a Charlie Brown Christmas that Peanuts creator Charles Schultz had a meeting with Lee Mendelson, the show's producer, and Bill Melendez, the lead animator, Charles Schultz was was insisting on including a reading of the Christmas story from the Bible. He intended to have Linus read from Luke 2 in response to Charlie Brown's question Isn't there anyone who understands what Christmas is all about? Well, both Mendelssohn and Melendez voiced deep concern about including the reading. Bill Melendez actually, and this is a quote, told Charles Schultz, it's very dangerous for us to start talking about religion now. And Charles Schultz's answer was telling, he said, Bill, if we don't, who will? If we don't, who will? You know, there's someone in your life who needs To hear your telling of the story of how Christ the Savior came into the world and came into your life. There's someone in your life who's waiting for an invitation to come and discover the Savior who was born to them and for them. And if you don't, who will? Who will? See, I'm increasingly mindful of the uniqueness of the church in the world the true church not just religious institutions but the presence in the world of people who have who really know Jesus who really have entrusted their lives to him who have kind of caught the true disease as it were and we are unique in the world And if we don't announce the message of the gospel, if we don't tell the story of Christ coming into the world, if, if, if we don't share the story of his transformation in our own lives, if we don't reach out to those in our families and in our neighborhoods and in our communities and in our workplaces and our schools and all the places we go, who will? So do you believe The message of the angels, which is the message of the gospel. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this incredible story that we've been caught up into because you intended us to be. It was all about us from the beginning, that we had rebelled, that we had become hostile that we had become apathetic that, and in that place we were helpless to save ourselves from the consequence of our waywardness and of our sin and so you decided to send your son you cared enough to send the very best and you sent your son Christ into the world to be our savior and Lord let us Let us be like Mary, surrendered to you. Let us be like Joseph, risking what seems so improbable and yet is so real. Let us be like the shepherds who couldn't stop talking about what they had seen and heard. And let us be like ourselves, that you have come into our lives. And you want to reveal yourself in us and through us. And Lord, let us say, as Mary said, be it unto me according to your word. Lord, would you make yourself known uh, through us in this Christmas season and in the year to come. We pray it in Jesus' name.